morning, good evening, good afternoon. I am Florence Ion, one of your hosts for the Material Podcast. This is episode number 204, recorded on May 22nd, 2019, and I am joined by the irreplaceable Andy Anatko. Why, thank you. I can actually, uh, at this point, you don't even need a brand new laptop because of the advancements in like ARM processors. I believe that even a three-year-old iPad could replace not everything I do, not a, mm-hmm. even a computer can't be quite as annoying and tenaciously obstinate mm-hmm. as mm-hmm. I, but 80% of the stuff. Uh, I will say that also uh, a inner three-year-old computer will also do as good a job at cleaning my uh, office on a daily basis as I do. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Hey, Andy, you know who can't take advantage of those ARM processors anymore? <laughs> Huawei. More on that later. Yeah. <laughs> Much more funny. on that we'll, later. We, we will we will get on that later. I just have to point out that uh, I <laughs> see. Usually, I finish this show doc like maybe an hour or two before the show, just in case. And the reason why is like I finished this show doc yesterday afternoon, and at yesterday afternoon, Huawei was just really screwed. And at now, t- less than twenty four hours later, they are almost totally screwed as opposed to really screwed. So, oh, well. So so what you're saying is that Huawei gave me the migraine yesterday to hold <laughs> off on us having recording our show so that they could have more things happen to them. Yes. Got it. Look at that, all that global influence. Uh- <laughs> Meanwhile, I will I will add ARM as another one of the reasons in the show, Doc, why they're totally mm-hmm. screwed. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so before we get into serious business... Yes. We like to chat a little bit, right? We want, you know, we want to connect with our listeners out there because we love you dearly. It humanizes us, I think. Yes. Yes, exactly. Um, So I'm, Andy and I are humans, last we checked. (laughs) Although it could be that we were programmed to think we were humans because, again, I mean, do the robots on Westworld really know that they're robots? Also, this could be a really sophisticated, <laughs> like a, Google A/B style testing of an AI, mm, where exactly. like after a couple of years, like you'll find out which one of us was the Google AI and which one of us was the control system, just to figure out which way it was going to work better. Let me tell you where I wish I had some AI or some robotic help. I wish I had some robotic help in managing my chaotic life. Uh, it's very, it's a lot of. It's quite a balancing act to work from home, run a lab from home, (laughs) and also live in your home. These are actually three very different things, and typically people have different rooms for these three different things. Usually you have an office, you have a little lab area with like a bench, uh, and then you have a, a home, which is cozy and which houses people. I have to do all three in in a squish into a little townhome in the California suburbs, which, as you know, it's very expensive out here. So, <laughs> you know what I'm working with. Are you, I, I understand a lot of people who like have living situations like you, like if they don't have one of those, if they're using like one of those like farm tables as a desk instead of the kind that have drawers, they're actually renting out the under the, the empty space under the desk as an Airbnb. One of mine has uh, actually a cup, uh, one two Google, people from Google and one person in who works for Twitter actually sleeping under their desk. You know, I wish I could Airbnb the area under my desk. Take <laughs> <laughs> somebody off of it. Um, you, so- would, you would probably have to shave your legs regularly, though. Yeah, and I'm just not. We're pedicures too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I I like my comfortable life. I'm a Taurus. I like to be at home. So if you look behind me, Andy, here in the 
<laughs> in in you know, Andy and I do this through the webcam so that we can connect. I, I see uh, lots while of we're boxes. Also, yeah. <laughs> so this is there's more boxes actually stacked behind it. Um, you just can't see them. And then the over here to my right are also like a bunch of Whole Foods bags that are filled <laughs> with like things that I need to ship out. Like that's my outbox. So this is how I manage things now. It's with paper bags and boxes. And so behind me is all the mail I've gotten in the last week. <laughs> <laughs> this is just the last week. And so before we started recording today, I was telling Andy that my FedEx guy has been chatting me up because he's been at my door every day and he's the morning guy. He's the guy who does the the 9 a.m. you need to sign for this deliveries. So he's banging real hard on my door. He doesn't even use the doorbell because, you know, why like bother? He's banging real hard until I get downstairs and then, you know, I have to sign for it and like carry all these boxes. So what I've been getting... So first I will say, I got some stuff. <laughs> and this week I kind of scaled back on my work a little bit because I'm trying to like restructure how I manage my days so that I can like actually write about this stuff that's coming in. So <laughs> look forward to that. There's some stuff I can't talk about yet, but um, it's going to be an exciting summer for devices. And I also got in the new OnePlus. 7 Pro. Yay. Now, I haven't opened it yet. It's still in the box. I haven't taken off the seal. Um, I just saw the return address and went, yay. Um, I still have to write about the Pixel 3a because I haven't really had time to dive into that as much as I have wanted to. Okay, this podcast is not turning into Flo's to-do list, I promise. Um, it's just to say that there's a pile of laptops behind me because I am now also on the gaming laptops beat, which I realize oh, no. <laughs> only sort of Venn diagrams with what we talk about here on Material, but hear me out. I think I really want one of these. <laughs> So just so just just to uh, again, they're they're still in boxes, so I can't see them. But so we're talking about like these alienware things that are mm -hmm, about mm -hmm, the size mm -hmm, of like mm -hmm. cafeteria trays and have like eight hundred. They're not watt as bad as they used to be. Okay, <laughs> they're not as bad as they used to be, but they're still really big. Um, I have a Razor Blade fifteen upstairs right now that I'm using, and it's like this monstrosity of a laptop, and it has like color changing keys, yep. and I'm like, wow, <laughs> what is this? Because I've been spending life with Chromebooks and like my my little mid-range PC over here that I've like Frankensteined. Sorry, Frankenstein was the name of the doctor, <laughs> not the name of the monster <laughs> that I've put together with like SSDs. So I, I'm just kind of at that point in life where I'm like, I need a big girl computer. I need something that can do more than just type for me. Uh, so I think after I do this, this testing this summer, I think I'm going to be ready to shell out 2500 on a <laughs> laptop because they're just so like they have everything in them yeah. now. Like you don't have to build them anymore. You could just buy this thing and it'll last you three, four years. Yeah, it's uh, you know, what? I, I'm sort of in the same position where the the the. One of the handicaps of being in our line of work where mostly what we're doing with our computers is stuff that almost any computer of the past five years can do. 
because we're our jobs is mostly writing, researching, and communication. Sometimes we have to edit together a, a, a YouTube video. Sometimes mm-hmm. we have to edit photos, but it's never the sort of thing where, okay, well, uh, we had uh, eight red cameras uh, recording at 8K, uh, geosync to... No, it's like... Hi, guys. I'm here from CES, and I just want to show you this awesome new phone case that's also a Bluetooth speaker. Okay, uh, see you later, guys. And so as a result, like uh, we see lots – every time we take a look at new computers, it's from the point of view as a journalist who's trying to assimilate this new thing into what we know about every computer that's ever been and use that to uh, share an opinion and advice. And when it, and it's a long, uh, there can be a long, long, long span of time before we're consumers again, shopping for a new computer. And like my, uh, uh, I'm my daily drivers, uh, meaning that or the, what works with 50, what I do 50% of my, of my work on in the office is a 2015 MacBook Pro that's still ticking along fine. I think probably 2014, maybe 2013, I don't even know, uh, Mac Mini. Uh, and again, those work fine, even though I'm like doing things like ripping Blu-rays and then converting them to uh, for for a server. And it's about the time where I probably should buy something new and yeah, I'm sort of in the same boat where I'm looking at like what even the freelance journalist grade and budget Mac Mini would be. And wow, that's nice. And I'm even looking at, well, what let's make sure we're being making good use of our money. Like, what if we were to build a Windows machine for the same thousand bucks? Like, wow, I could get like a graphics card and all this sort of really amazing stuff. And the weird thing is that um I'm Whereas the la- uh, 2015, well, let's let's call 2013 because the only reason why I bought a laptop in 2015 is because I spilled an entire glass of hotel room diet Dr Pepper into my 2013 <laughs> <laughs> MacBook. I'm shaking my head over here just so everybody imagines me. <laughs> yeah, see, this is uh, again. Now, I I hope you. This listeners- is why we do it on video so yeah. I can make I, facial I, reactions. I, let, let let me make an aside here that I. Uh, uh, we have lots of listeners, and the show is doing great. So, if we were doing thank something, thank you, by the way. Again, thank you. And if <laughs> so, if we were doing something that was making people tune out, people would have tuned out long by now. And one of the things that I dig about <laughs> about the show is that we could just we could actually get two different sets of sponsors by just creating a a second logo and doing this as a podcast for freelance journalists in which we basically so we're there are two freelance journalists maybe we should pitch that uh to the higher ups here at really <laughs> you know you know what i actually think you and i could do a great podcast just about be just talking about what our lives as freelance journalists because so so uh the uh, no the reason no i would i don't know whether it makes people more impressed or less impressed or more like thinking I'm an idiot or less thinking I'm an idiot that it wasn't that I'm like right now I'm here and actually in a very nice conference room with a huge table. I don't have a beverage, but maybe I would have had like a glass of Diet Coke uh, no next food to or the, drink at the library. Exactly. But again, uh, next and as has almost happened many times, which is why I don't keep glasses anywhere near the keyboard. I'm reaching for something and I nick, I, I nick the edge of the glass just enough to just topple it over 
and you don't grab for it because you know that that might be the difference between it almost tipping over and your grab for it actually cause it to splash over. What? I, but th- I was <laughs> I was at a conference and was one of those things where I've got meetings and speaking things from uh, and also okay, social things from about seven thirty in the morning where I have to be dressed, showered, and out of the room to about 9 p.m. by the time I'm back in the room and I have to do four or five hours worth of work. And I fi- it was 2 a.m. It, it was like uh, 11 p.m. I had finally managed to, okay, now I can finally like actually relax, pour myself a beverage, and like actually take a look at my email. Uh, and so I was in the, <laughs> I was in my bed. I was like laying on my side with uh, like my laptop on the bed uh, with a glass in my hand. And then I woke up at 4.30 in the morning like where the glass was empty, the sheets were dry, the screen had like it looked like it had gone into sleep, but it wouldn't wake up. And it took me a while to figure out that I had fallen asleep with the glass in my hand, knocked it over into the laptop, and it take I'd been there I'd been asleep for so long and it actually like dried and everything. The only the only wetness was under a a wet spot exactly the shape of the bottom of my MacBook Pro underneath the sh- on top of the sheets and so I woke so I'm awake at 4 30 in the morning I still have not done any of my work or my uh <laughs> or, I'm in or shock and awe over here by the way yep. I'm just completely speechless at and this the, point oh no no it gets better and the even worse even worse news is that I'm giving a talk at 11 a.m and so, of course, now, although, again, I have, all, I have all my slides and everything, but not only, of course, not only have I not done, done the usual, okay, it's the night before, let's just go through the slide deck and make changes, but of course, now I don't have my slide deck. So I spent, <laughs> so on four hours of sleep, on a very, already very sleep minus week, uh, I spent like an hour and a half trying to, res- trying to resurrect this thing. And that at which point I realized that after I forensically figured out what had happened and done everything you can possibly do in an hour and a half that does not involve like reflowing the solder balls on on CPUs, I realized that, okay... This this is definitely like like on a field of battle sort of determination. Like... It's this is this machine is broken and not coming back, and it's because I have this is what dumped. People don't realize we deal with yeah, on a I, constant I, basis. I, I have dumped about uh, ten ounces of Diet Dr Pepper and ice into the keyboard. I know that and that's, ice and ice. So also so basically the initial hit, but also water melting mm-hmm, into it. Mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. this is not something that can be fixed if it's an Apple device, because basically the entire if it doesn't boot if boot up, then that means that no, you did not get your one <laughs> stupid for free card said okay son there is an apple store right across the parking lot from this hotel a new macbook will cost two thousand dollars you have two thousand dollars <laughs> you're going to need a laptop for the next month or two at the very least so you're gonna get it anyway you might as well <laughs> go into, go use the use your phone to order one through the apple store uh, oh, set it up for, for pickup at 10 a.m. <laughs> I was lined up outside the store. I walked at, before it opened. I walked out of the store with my new laptop at 10:10. 10, 10. By 10:30, 10, I was back in the hotel. By 10:45, 10, 
I had just like all I can do, all I'm going to do is I'm going to download my presentation app and I'm going to down install Dropbox and download my presentation. I did have a killer, a new killer opening 10 minutes to say, folks, I was so committed to giving you a good presentation <laughs> that I bought a new $2,000 laptop. And also don't wow. fall asleep with a beverage in your hand. So wow. that's so that's. <laughs> So again, uh, I, I, I if we if we lose listeners after this, I know it had nothing to do with Google, but that's me. I still can't forgive myself for that. Uh, but no, okay. no, no, that was an amazing story, especially because this week I have been um, just kind of beating myself up for not being able to like get everything <laughs> done, which is which is by the way a lie that. <laughs> We've been fed our entire lives that if we're not productive, we're horrible people. Yes. Um, and this is something that I'm trying to come out of because I do have some very unfortunate workaholic tendencies, which leads to me getting burnt out. Yeah. I'm just laying it all out here on the podcast. <laughs> I love everything that I do. Um, it's just the problem is when you're doing so much of it all the time and there's like no recuperation time and there's no like time outside the house, it doesn't really get your best work out of you. Um, And I kind of appreciate you sharing that story because it's just, it's a perfect story of everything just hit the fan. (laughs) For lack of better phrasing, it just helps, makes makes me feel a little bit better to know that you were able to get out of the, granted you dropped two grand, which is sure a lot of money. (laughs) But listen, to make you feel better, Andy, I can't tell you how many times when I used to have a giant PC um, as my only like machine, because when I lived alone in a studio, like that's all you needed. One time I spilled an entire thing of water into the case and I had to like Ooh. take apart the case and blow dry it. It was the first liquid cooled CPU. It was, yeah, it wasn't even liquid cooled because <laughs> I couldn't afford it because living in San Francisco is so expensive. You can't even get that stuff. But anyway, Oh, but to, uh, just I'm sorry, just to just to just to round the to close the circle. What what I was saying is that so the uh, I'm probably due to like buy new hardware. And the great thing is like now I'm thinking that whereas for my entire life, pretty much since laptops were super super powerful, it's like well, there's no point in my pu- throwing like a grand and a half into like a really good desktop because I need something I can take on trips, and right. nothing I can travel with is going to be good enough. But now things I can travel with are way good enough. So now I'm thinking of, well, and also because Apple laptops now kind of suck, they might not suck next year, but for my uses, they absolutely suck and I absolutely can't buy them. The writers, the writers are saying that because I definitely hear of it. I mean, look, I realize this is not a computer podcast, um, eh, Google, but people, people use Google and type things into search engines. Well, and I think I just want to also, again, make the point, hone the point home that the reason Andy and I have been using Chromebooks for the last year is because of how comfortable they've made them for people in our in our line of work. Um, I am just looking at gaming laptops because I really want to get back into gaming and I just I don't have the hardware for it yeah. at home. And I I miss being entranced by a story in that way. Um, there's, it's just, it's an exciting, it's always exciting being a techie (laughs) because you just get excited about the experiences with these things and being on a gaming laptop. I appreciate it coming from the Chromebook and knowing, but I also appreciate the Chromebook because 
the other day I was making gifts for a story that I was putting, a how-to story that I was putting together. And I did it all through an Android app on the Chromebook. I was uh, exporting the video, trimming it, and then turning it into a GIF all through Android apps on the Chromebook. And it was just like this very easy process. And then just uploading them into the CMS like it's no yeah. big deal. Yeah, and, and and Chromebooks particularly, it's good. It's if I do in the next year buy go go c- follow through on my plan on instead of getting one two thousand dollar notebook mm-hmm. on a uh, Mac notebook, getting like a thousand dollar fifteen hundred dollar Mac Mini, like a really much yeah. better Mac Mini, and then either continue to use like a cheaper laptop like a Chromebook or buying a five or six hundred dollar like notebook, which would just work uh, fine. Not cheaper. Less expensive. Yeah, less expensive. (laughs) (laughs) I I have an editor who said to me, we need to stop using cheaper. It's not. You know what? It's true because in this day and age, cheaper doesn't necessarily mean cheap. True. Oh, yeah, exactly. That's one of the points. Yeah. (laughs) Anyway, sorry. Go ahead. Uh, and so, but uh, so I, uh, it's been a, it's been such a rush using Chromebooks because I, I I've been into I've been using Chromebooks long enough that I was one of the people who got remember when they launched the whole Chromebook and yes. th- they realized it was going to be such a hard sell that let's not sell Chromebooks at all let's just give away. <laughs> To schools. <laughs> Several thousand, yes. not, not just the schools. Like if you, oh, yeah. if you email, they Google they, they actually had some special ones made up. I still have like my original one. Uh, and it was that, wow, it's all you got to do. All you can do is like run web browser stuff. And I know, okay, it's not that that's useless. And okay, Google Docs is a nice web app. Uh, and so. <laughs> and now. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's like now, now that. Uh, so when I, here's, here's uh. probably what you'll go through when you you start using your first Chromebook seriously, and I want you to uh, to avoid the mistakes and the bad mind view that I originally had. I thought like, wow, see, now that this Chromebook can run, now the Chromebooks can run Android apps, that's great because I can still mm-hmm. have like the sort of low power, simplified version of uh, of the web version of uh, Microsoft Office, Microsoft Word, uh, Office, mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. Uh, 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 Google Docs. But then when I want something more powerful like Lightroom, I can download the Android app for it and have Android experience. And, and oh, also now Linux. you can download wow, the Creative cool. Cloud app, by the way, and the Creative right, right. Cloud app will let you select which apps you put onto your mobile experience, just like on the desktop. Yes, <laughs> but the see, but even see, but the that was wrong because. It uh, as the weeks and months went by, I learned to like not only use Android apps when I absolutely have to because they might have power problems and they don't integrate as well into the experience as something that goes into the web browser. And now I've gone past that too. Like I've gone from like of course on a on a on a purely sort of technical and uh, academic basis, knowing about progressive web apps to like now is there a progressive web app available of this web based thing that I'm using on the Chromebook? And if so, yes, we're definitely getting the progressive web app. So you can use uh, Google Photos. At, through a web browser, but if you go into the the menu bar, excuse me, the menu dot 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 thing, you can. There's a thing for install Google Photos, and because it's a progressive web app, it will download it and treat it like a really really optimized desktop app. And so I've uh, I've really fallen in love, for instance, with uh, uh, an editing a photo editor called Photo P, uh, P E A. Now uh, app namers. 
don't make me have to specify that I'm not calling, I'm not saying photo urine. It's P-E-A as in the vegetable that you push to the side of your plate and is basically used as a garnish. I eat my peas, but whatever. (laughs) Uh, so, but it's, but it's amazing. Like if you, if you, uh, if you, if you use this app, even through a web browser, it really does look like, let's call it a, uh, maybe it looks like Adobe Photoshop from like Adobe Photoshop. I was going to say seven, six or seven. I was trying to figure out whether to say like a eight year old or a nine year old version of Photoshop, which is still amazingly good. You still have layers. You still have advanced selection. And the same menu system too, by the way, which is a huge deal because the Android apps are like, how do I do this? Like common thing I need to do like that I do on the desktop all the time with one stroke. And and so you can also, but then once you're once you're super impressed with it, you can install it as a progressive web app, and now it's an app that lives on the device. You don't have to worry about. Oh, I actually didn't know that you could do that. Yeah, I see. Oh, I didn't know it either. I don't now have, I have to, to just bookmark it. Every uh, that, see now I'm in that habit now of every time there's something that really really useful that's not like information or search. Like I will go, I will either look for a button somewhere on that web page, or I will just tap the uh like the menu button in in chrome and say is there something for install <laughs> whatever this is like yes please do this is awesome uh so i'm i'm still disappointed that you can't get windows at, at, that google seems to have abandoned this project of making chromebooks run windows 10 but maybe that was a good idea because it's reminding people that well you don't need windows 10 there are solutions you're only you only want to install windows 10 because you're familiar with it uh and i assume there's a reason why you didn't buy a windows machine yeah that's why you bought a, bought a chromebook but let's so but i do want to go to one yeah. <laughs> one more thing that's we're this this did turn out to luckily be an entire thing about laptops so i went to the <laughs> mit flea market on sunday and for those of you who are close to Boston or going to be in Boston, uh, it is everything that you imagine it to be when you hear the the idea of a flea market in a in a garage, uh, in a parking garage. So it's like weird stuff on in the M- on the MIT right. Well, no, on the MIT campus. So it's so it re- right. so it's not like uh, it's not like uh, you know commercial vendors. It really is just people folding tables and right. like with the back of their SUV opened up <laughs> where you can a see the other things they have. A flea market. Like yeah. what a flea market is supposed to mean. Exactly. It's a blanket with stuff on it. Right, exactly. And <laughs> and it's all, and and the people who are just, hey, I, 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 buy, I buy tube socks and glow sticks on Ali, AliExpress and go to flea. No, it's not these people. It's going to be like somebody whose hobby... <laughs> For uh, for fixing up vintage Macs got out of mm-hmm. hand and mm-hmm. kind of turned into a if I take the stuff I, I fixed and don't want anymore to the flea every month, I can afford to continue to collect Macs or somebody who's not full time job is they just go to like auctions and buy old tools or as the, the my favorite ones, you can always tell when somebody on the some lab on the uh, MIT campus or Harvard campus nearby uh, uh they, they completed a grant project and now they're just breaking down the lab and selling off everything inside it because now here's a table with just nothing but uh here's like a one of my favorite things i bought was somebody had like 80 motorized like commercial pill dispensers 
Uh, and so I bought like they had like a servo that was spit out a uh, big hopper you can fill with M&Ms, of course, pills. But I, you know, I, I, fill, I cleaned it up, filled with M&Ms. And every time you hit the servo, it would like dispense one thing. So but so it's a, but it's also super, super fun to go to. Uh, even just to come and browse, just like a flea market. You, you don't go to a flea market because here's a wish, here's a shopping list of things I need to get. Let's go to the flea market and we'll definitely get them. It's like no, you go because it's Sunday morning. You're free and you're gonna have, you're gonna bring some cash in case you want to buy something, but just to look at stuff. Third Sunday of every month between uh, uh, April and October. So I went to uh, the last one. One of the things I've been looking for for a while was I want to buy like a really, really inexpensive secondhand ThinkPad that's compact, uh, in really, really good shape. Not necessarily. Oh, I saw you high-powered. posting about that the other yeah, day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was wondering. I'm like, okay. So because of for I, I, because a as uh, as something to sort of experiment with, but also as sort of maybe influenced by my experience with a Chromebook. Like I want to see mm-hmm. what if I have a laptop that's just optimized for writing. Everything that I really like about like a writing laptop, because again, Apple has been deleting features from laptops that writers really really like and think the uh, Lenovo ThinkPad are just charging. optimized. Yeah, yeah. So I bought this. I'll you, maybe I'll, I'll I'll share a picture so that if you want to look at it in the show notes, but so Flo can see it. This is a Lenovo ThinkPad 11e with a with a Fallout yeah Fallout sticker boy sticker on it. This see this was so it's a like an 11.7 inch uh, laptop. Actually, the 11e. Uh, for five hundred bucks, you can for five six hundred bucks you can buy it with Windows, but they also make an educational version of it that's a little bit more stripped down. It's like all metal. You can drop wow, it. Wow, that's so small. Yeah, it, it's really. Andy's holding it. It just looks like a tablet in his hand. Yeah, it doesn't yeah. look like and a full laptop. They make a version of it that is can be folded for a laptop. And the a it was just in a box of like old laptops, and so a it looked like it was the sort of thing I was looking for. Uh, B, it looked really, really sturdy and not like an educa- one of those things where it's educationally priced because they know that the school system, when they break, they can just throw them away and replace it with another one when a kid breaks one. As opposed to, but there's also the versions where we make it A, it's educational, meaning that A, it's designed so that it can be dropped. You can spill things into the keyboard. And when things break, you can take it apart and fix it yourself. And so that's those things I was looking for. But also the fact that it had this Fallout sticker on the top of it meant that I bet that whoever bought this or, or maybe even the person who like is selling it has put Linux on it. I, I believe that that is the mark of someone who would put Linux on a ThinkPad. And I was absolutely correct. 45 bucks. <laughs> 45 bucks. It has four four megabytes of uh, operational RAM. You can upgrade it yourself to eight. has 128 gig SSD. And of course, you can just with captive screws just exactly. uh, upgrade just go it in yourself. And put another one. Uh, Celeron processor, but it's running X Ubuntu. And I've been finding that it's, again, for the things that a writer does, I'm just not noticing any sort of speed problems with it. Uh, and also, the cool thing is that Lenovo used to sell. Uh, this hardware outfitted with Chrome OS, although they don't anymore, which makes me think that if I wanted to turn this into a Chromebook, I could. But to be honest, I'm having so much fun uh, with uh, Xubuntu. I haven't, but my for the past several years, my only regular access to Linux when I'm not investigating something has been the Raspberry Pi. And so using an absolutely modern version of Ubuntu on a only three-year-old notebook 
has really opened my eyes to how far this stuff has come. So it's actually kind of, and I, I also I've also mentioned that again, unlike. I don't want I, this is not like an anti Apple thing. It's just more like an anti Apple's modern notebooks thing. So, in addition to being completely user serviceable, in addition to being made just as well, although of course it's heavier and thicker probably, but not still not too heavy or thick, uh, and being only $500 when new or $45 when you buy it at a flea market, my God, it has an actual Ethernet port and it has an actual USB port and it has an actual. A full-sized SD slot, and it has an actual like HDMI port on it. Sometimes I wish Chromebooks had these things because it would make my life just a tiny bit easier to have that. And and some of them do, but it means that like if I'm at if if I'm with if this is one of those. it's annoying to me that I have to make sure I pack everything I might yeah. need when I take my two thousand dollar MacBook somewhere, or or even my Chromebook. But uh, let's let's focus on hating Apple here. Uh, and so this is why it makes this forty five dollar notebook so really good for my Compelling. needs. The, the number of times <laughs> where. <laughs> I mean, the, the number of times I'm going to New York just overnight just to cover one event, but I might have to do a podcast and I might have to write like a couple thousand words. The idea of if I have this Lenovo, the $45 Lenovo running Linux and its charger, I that's all I need because every other dongle or adapter I is already kind of built into the hardware. So it's kind of made me, it's kind of opened my eyes. Like, like, like we're saying earlier on, and I promise, I'm sorry, everybody, we will, we will get to like the actual news of the week. But uh, the, the idea of it's so important to look at technology with the eyes of the consumer and not necessarily with the sort of dispassionate eyes of I've been covering technology for I've been covering ThinkPads since they were made by IBM and I'm covering <laughs> notebooks since they're only made by NAC and Grid and it's like you have to make sure you you maintain the eyes of a consumer to see uh, if you have not shopped as a consumer for five years, if you've not really swapped out your hardware, if you've not looked at options in a couple of years, like, oh, I'm a Mac guy, so of course, obviously, I'm going to get a, a new MacBook. Now, there's almost no chance my next notebook will be a MacBook because, number one, A, this $45 notebook is probably going to do me for the next couple of years, maybe. But if, <laughs> but, if I were to, but if I were to buy a new notebook next year, I would probably buy, like, the version of this ThinkPad with, like, an i5 CPU. Uh, and a better screen because it's like one of my it's my, I know if so long as I can have that really good desktop at home for when I need power 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 on the Mac I can certainly be very very well served by something that is not a Mac so and you could take your Chrome apps with you when you log into Chrome indeed you, right <laughs> Which sure, it's its own little platform. All right. Um, we should probably get into we probably. an ad. Yes. <laughs> it's such a nice day today. I thought we'd do the ad read outside. And today's episode of Material is brought to you by Linode. With Linode, you can instantly deploy and manage an SSD server in the Linode cloud. And you can get a server running in just seconds with your choice of Linux distro, resources, and node location. It doesn't matter if you're working on your first server or deploying a complex system, Linode are the folk to go to. They offer the fastest hardware and network with outstanding customer support if you ever need help. It's super easy to launch a Linode cloud server. 
and their block storage is available in Newark, Fremont, Dallas, Atlanta, Frankfurt, London, and Singapore, and soon to be released in Tokyo. Version 4 of Linode's RESTful API is out of beta and includes an officially supported Python CLI. And right now, Linode are hiring. If you want to learn more and check out what they're looking for, just go to linode.com slash careers. Their plans start at one gigabyte of RAM for just $5 a month, and they offer high memory plans starting with 16 gigabytes of RAM. And Linode have a special offer just for you. As a listener of this show, you can go to linode.com slash material and use promo code material2019, all one word, lowercase, to get $20 towards any Linode plan. On the one gigabyte of RAM plan, that's four free months. And with a seven-day money-back guarantee, you have nothing to lose. Give Linode a try today. That's linode.com slash material and promo code material2019 to learn more, sign up, and make the most of that $20 credit. Our thanks to Linode for their support of this show and all of Relay FM. Back to the indoors. So last week, a lot of stuff went down between Huawei and Google. I mean, that's just the, that's the TLDR. That's, I'm not going to bury the lead here. Like, that's what we're talking about today. And that's what a lot of tech reporters and and blogs and Android fan sites are talking about because it is going to set quite an interesting precedent for the, just basically for the next couple of years. Um not to get too political, but some people are saying this could be the beginning of a new Cold War. <laughs> <laughs> so putting putting that perspective on it, let's talk about what happened between Huawei and Google, okay? So we'll put our little, um, I don't know, we'll, we'll put some music on in the background. Let's pretend there's music. All right. So <laughs> last week, uh, <sighs> President Trump added Huawei to the Commerce Department's entity list, effectively blacklisting the company from working with U.S. corporations and taking... This took Huawei and U.S. companies by complete surprise and also the majority of us on Twitter. Because when this was blowing up, like, uh, journalist, tech journalist Twitter was like, what is going on? Like, this is exciting. We had to leave because- our Game of Thrones parties planning set up to write about this stuff. We were not happy. I was actually... I have to say, before we get into this even further, I kind of wish that there were more like mainstream um, news sites or like late night shows maybe covering this stuff because <laughs> this is um, this is a big deal because not only is it setting a precedent for how the U.S. like politicizes business because it's effectively what's happening here, whether you want to admit it or not, but it's also setting a precedent for how other nations could could proceed forward, which creates an interesting world dichotomy that um, will actually contribute to more fragmentation. We'll explain how in just a minute. All right. So the reason that Huawei has kind of been on the list, so to speak, is because a couple of years back, 
And actually, there's been rumblings about this in in the tech world for quite a bit. But there was a suspicion that Huawei was kind of a stooge for the Chinese national intelligence. Um, Or maybe even owned by China. Or maybe even owned by them. Um, Even the last uh, presidential administration, the Obama administration, was wondering if something needed to be done. I remember a couple of CESs in a row where that was kind of like a hush-hush discussion that was happening between us uh, in the press. Like, oh, wow, Huawei's here. I'm wondering how this thing. Is happening, right? So there's never been any actual proof of Huawei taking orders from the Chinese government or being owned by the government, but a national intelligence law enacted there in 2017 requires Chinese citizens and organizations to assist intel agencies on any operations regarding national security. And um, the powers are broad and vague, and it's considered a concern, which is exactly why we had spent so many podcasts talking about why we didn't want Google to go into business in China, like for that reason specifically. Um, and also the ownership of Huawei is kind of murky and deceptive. So while Huawei has said that the company is 100% owned by its employees, even in its annual reports, um, researchers from the George Washington University from George Washington University and Fulbright say that it's 100% owned by a holding company. So it's it's owned for it's owned by business. So 1% of stock in the holding company is held by Huawei's CEO and the remainder by an entity described as a quote trade union entity. So that's really vague. Um who what is the trade union? Who are they it's it's not like the trade union that you think of here. I mean, it could be, yeah, it's, but who it's, knows? It's but yeah. See, it's a really good report that was created here. They also they, I think this this report also dug up that um, there was one of their employees was in a divorce proceeding and uh, yep. the courts were trying to figure out like what their assets are like, oh, well, he's a, as an employee of Huawei, he owns a portion of the company. And legally, Huawei said, no, this employee does not own any portion of the company, which is what I thought you guys were company owned. <laughs> employee owned, yes. So this whole thing kind of happened late last week. We are recording this on Thursday. Usually we do Wednesday. Um, And the last week we're talking about is the Friday. So it's been nearly a week since this has been going down. And um, just to hone it in, Huawei's kind of screwed. Just referring to its phones, it means no Corning Gorilla Glass, no Qualcomm modem chips, as we foreshadowed earlier, no ARM CPUs, because the British government has also kind of like hopped on this boat and, um, and no Google, no Google, because Google is a U.S. company. And when the U.S. government says U.S. needs to cease operations, um, U.S. companies have to abide because... I don't know. I guess that's how things work. So <laughs> Google complied with the order. Even it's, it, it helps to it helps to understand that even the man has the man they have to cow down exactly. to. Exactly. There's, there's no justice. That's what I meant by that. Thank you, Andy. Um, so it was announced on Sunday about five days ago that only Huawei's use of open source Android is infe- unaffected. So for the immediate time being, uh, Google would have to spe- suspend all operations with 
Huawei. So this would include things like all Google Android apps, the Play Store and Play Store Protect, which makes sure that um, our apps are safe to use, updates to all versions of Android moving forward, including security updates, which like, you know, has been a thing the last couple of years that Google's really been honing in on. And Google already doesn't can't already had pulled out in 2011 with official like web search presence but that will also mean Huawei sells phones to people in other countries where they could have access to all that stuff but now they can't they can't create one of those cool Google Google phones we all know and love where all these apps are pre-installed and they actually work access to the Play Store is deathly if you don't have it because now you don't have access to the 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 definitive app store right the definitive app store for Android users. Um, So a statement from Huawei released uh, shortly thereafter kind of underscores the fact that the company's beef is with the U.S. government and not with Google. So kind of saving is saying like, look, guys, they're just doing like what the U.S., what the silly U.S. government is telling them to do. Like this don't go on and hate on Google now. So um, a statement by Abraham Liu, uh, Huawei's representative to the EU, to Reuters said, Uh, Google has zero motivation to block us. We are working closely with Google to find out how Huawei can handle the situation and the impact from the U.S. Department of Commerce decision. Huawei is becoming the victim of the bullying by the U.S. administration. This is not just an attack against Huawei. It's an attack on the liberal rules-based order. Um, I'm not scared. I think this is going to be just fine. We're reading all of this to you verbatim because you need to understand that this is going to have an impact. Yeah. Okay. So on Monday, a couple days after the statement was released, yes, we're walking you through this. On Monday, uh, the Commerce Department gave Huawei a 90-day limited reprieve so U.S. companies can continue to work with Huawei, but only to help support those Huawei existing uh, customers, which to me, I'm like, who are you? (laughs) <laughs> Anyone? Because I, I I don't know anybody who has a Huawei phone here um, outside of my press friends, um, and those are review units, or I don't know if they bought them. So that's just the on. That's my honest. That's that's my truth. Uh, <laughs> so Google and Huawei have a promise that current users of Huawei slash Honor phones will continue to get security updates and access to the Play Store, etc. During this period, no ninety days. Um, so. Kind of the crux here is um, it could be a possible disaster for Huawei, but in a consumer sense, it could also be like a possible opportunity. Now, before we get into this, I want to say like this is a big deal for us politically because as I preface at the beginning of this, it sets a precedent not just for the U.S. doing business with China, but also globally Uh, nations doing business with each other. Like it becomes this really nationalistic sort of way of doing business, which is, um, it's not good, Bob. (laughs) It's not good because it politicizes. I mean, we already, like there are nations out there that already politicize business. Like for instance, Russia owns a bunch of pipelines for a majority of Eurasia. And um, they tend to use that to their advantage to get people to do what they want to do. That's just an example. Um, But I'm using that as an example of how that could be applied in the capitalist sense. So to have businesses sort of aligning, because it becomes very, it becomes like a nationalist thing, even though it's 
it's supposed to be just about business. Like nationalism is these, you know, the countries are behind these, uh, these companies and they're going to support them and their people and their workers. Um, it's wild. It's wild. Uh, so this could be a possible disaster for Huawei, but again, Huawei has the largest chunk of the Chinese phone market. Um, and not just the Chinese phone market, they also rule over uh, other parts of Eurasia. So Southeast Asia, they are a big deal. Um, I believe in Oceania. <laughs> I have to remember how these regions are called. So Australia, New Zealand, um, Northern Europe has a lot of Huawei phones around. So the Chinese government puts unusual restrictions on apps and services that operate within China. And because Google's pulled out of China a long time ago, Huawei has an absolute opportunity here um, to kind of like have this homegrown like Google Lite service, basically. Um, so while building a robust fork of Android with its own app store would be daunting and risky for anybody else, <laughs> Samsung, uh, <laughs> Huawei would probably have no trouble bringing these Chinese apps and services and can use that to develop a legit fork that goes from workable alternative to Google Android to leapfrog of Google flavored Android in the space of a few years. Maybe this is just like mm. the positive idea of what could happen, right? Like, like, the, like the line from uh, Hunt for Red October, like when Cortez reached the new world, he ordered his men to burn his ships. This left his men very well motivated. So, like the reason is that your why, Sean Connery impression? That's my Sean Connery impression. It's pretty good. It's pretty good. Well, I, I spend a lot of time alone in my office, and so when the Hamilton uh, soundtrack <laughs> comes on, I usually say. What does a bastard, <laughs> orphan, son of a whore, and a Scotsman? Yeah, so, anyway, but yeah, it's like no one, no one has built up, up. The only reason, the only times that people build a really, really good alternative to Android is when they have no choice. So Amazon uh, built a really, re now a really successful fork of Android, so that they can do whatever they want on their Fire tablets, and took and Kindle. it took them a while. For a few years, so if you the, don't even know you're using Android, yeah, and which is which is usually how you get an uh, an iPhone user to use Android, just make sure they don't know they're using it. Um, but so China could be, which is let's remember that they are a huge company with an amazing number of people in it and a vibrant tech community. And uh, HQs all around the world, by the way, there's yes. a giant HQ just in Bucharest, Romania, right? Uh, and on top of that. Uh, there are has every single American company, including Google, has been learning getting a service or an app approved for use in China has its very own set of problems because you have to make sure the government is very, very happy with how you're operating this service, what people can do with this service and what government can do to keep an eye on how people are using this service. Um, as a matter of fact, uh, last year, maybe Huawei was kind of looking at this possibility because they were saying – because they were making a pitch to developers all around the world that uh, maybe mm. we're, we're going to create a brand new app store that will be a con sort of a concierge service where, yes, you'll have to recompile it for our, our, our app store in China, but we're going to help you to make sure that you can do like a messaging app that doesn't violate any local uh, guidelines or any rules that will, it will, will grease the rails for you in China. So given the number of people in China, that might be it, – it might be worth some app platforms while – 
Instagram, Facebook, whatever, to create a special version for this Chinese app store. But also, if it allows... Uh, Another aspect of the Chinese government is that, of course, they're really, really proactive in making sure the Chinese industry uh, is protected and does very, very well. One of the reasons why China owns manufacturing is not because of anti-competitive practices, because their government in the 90s decided that we have a great opportunity here Mm -hmm. because now international Mm -hmm. shipping on uh, on cargo boats is so cheap, we can Mm -hmm. easily – we're going to help cities like Shenzhen create – all the infrastructure they need. We're going to give them all the government investment and support they need to create a, 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 a manufacturing powerhouse. That's how you do it, folks. Yep. I mean, I got to hand it to China. They really they really supported their people in building that up. And that's like, that's how... Yeah. So That's so, how business for the greater good is done. Yeah, that's unfortunate. And, and I, I, I can't... I can't stop myself from saying that if you really, really want to help business in America, you don't help help business by simply randomly cutting their taxes and hoping they'll do things that are productive for the country by doing so, because they might probably not do that. What you do is you create environments that don't simply involve, hey, we're going to make sure you don't have to pay any taxes whatsoever, but we're going to make sure you have the infrastructure you need because if you come here, you're going to hire lots of people. And if you are successful, then those people will get paid lots of money and those workers will then spend their money at restaurants and at movies and and other local businesses, including buying houses that get great, great property tax bonuses for the for the city which allows us to buy schools and sewer systems and stuff like that so anyway but um, but i digress <laughs> but to hey, be fair let, china let's see if, that, let's see if those some... tax cuts work out That's... yes um it's it, so this huawei thing is it is a big deal because i this is the third time i'm repeating it but i just want to again hone in the fact that this is more than just business practice. This is political practice. And, um, you know, we've been talking about Huawei and quote unquote spying for since like 2010, 2011. Yeah. Like this is not new. <laughs> it, but this in particular is very scary. The precedent that it sets forth for how businesses do business Um Globally, yeah. If that if really if this becomes an active uh, active fire sort of part of American uh, excuse me of worldwide diplomacy, that's what I mean. Where yeah, where it's like actually actually we want America. We insist that you take part in the Paris Accords for uh, for <laughs> to to combat global warming, and as such, we're going to slap tariffs on you on all your products. We're going to make it really really hard for your business to do business because we know that you don't listen. The thing you listen to is people who make lots and lots of money, business people who now are maybe not being able to make money, that they'll put pressure on you. Um, and also, but also it really could, for better or for worse, really change how technology works in the world. If this turns into a serious trade war, uh, we're already seeing an we're already seeing a lot of hurt in the United States of, uh, as a result of the trade war, and it hasn't really gotten spun up yet. So we, uh, as we said, uh, the U.S. gave Huawei a 90-day reprieve. Um, I don't think it was necessarily so that they could, so that people who own Huawei phones could get more support and make other plans. I really think it was okay. Let's all cool down. We <laughs> 
let's take nine. Now that we all know like how angry we are with each other as as about the possibility that Huawei is installing 5G networks all across the world that will be maybe, for all we know, controlled by the Chinese government for espionage uh, both ways. Let's talk about this and see if we can't roll down this restrictions. And who knows, maybe we'll have a different president by then. You never know. Uh, I'm grabbing my face in agony, (laughs) by the way. I I also just want to say that um, and I know that this, again, this is a Google podcast, but this has everything to do with Google because what is happening politically in the U.S. Um, is, I mean, you have to you have to watch it because I, I really feel like this administration is going to is going to change the way tech is done yeah. in a way I'm sort of. This may be kind of a controversial opinion, and I know we're already running long, but in a way, I am kind of, I've been expecting it, and I've been waiting for the shoe to drop, and I've been waiting for kind of the American, like, you know, we're the best, like, this is where all the great stuff comes out of. I've been waiting for that to to sort of, the the polish to come off of it, you know what I mean? Like. Because it's not so many other nations have been working towards this to try and get up to this level. And with this kind of politicization and um, and trade war stuff happening, like other countries are going to use this to their advantage to try and like change the market. And if I were Google, I would be freaking out because that's going to mean harder control on Android as a platform. And I know that it's open and that's what it's supposed to be, but that's, it's going to mean that all this stuff that we talk about and get excited about at Google IO is like literally only coming to a subset of users. You know, there's all these things that it's going to contribute to. And we have to think about the long-term impacts of this kind of news, not just like, oh, what a political theater is going on. It's not just political theater. Like there's a reason it's made out as theater is to make it interesting to people to want to, pay attention to it. And so you need to pay attention because yeah. <laughs> this is going to change the way the world does tech. And, um, and that could be bad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's, it could be this, also good, but you know, yeah. And it could break up some monopolies and it, as long as it gets, yeah, as long as it makes people certain, the, again, the, the, even if you believe yourself to be the man, I know it's a sexist term, but we all understand the concept. Yes, there is, yes. Even whether you know it or not, there's also the man that you have to re- respond to. And if Google and Apple and Facebook think, oh, well, we're the man. We're the people that ca- ca- cause problems for other people. Like, n- no, there's something bigger than you. Uh, we're not talking about God. We're talking about a couple levels of below God, but still able to unleash a bucket load of wrath. And we really should get to the get to something else. Yes, but 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 the last thing yes. I wanted I wanted to say was just that this is why I'm really dumbfounded that a company that that Google and Apple and all these other companies are so eager to kowtow to the Chinese government. And it's not that it's not just that they often are using and abusing technology to abuse their citizens. It's that if I were a CEO and I thought that I'm going to, I'm really, why am I willing to 
go through all of these hoops to make this government happy, knowing that that we are completely disposable to this government. That's not that they could turn us off at any moment. This is not like a competitive marketplace where there's a point at which the interests of the government supersede the interests of private commerce and private commerce does not have the ability to fight back against the government. So, I'm just saying that it's, you might sell your soul three times over to maintain a presence in the Chinese marketplace only to find out that you, that China doesn't need you or want you anymore. Like one, one of the reasons why Huawei has all these options is that in the absence of Google, uh, there are pretty much every Google service, including search, including chat, including uh, including alternatives to uh, Facebook, including alternatives to Facebook, uh, Google Pay, all this sort of stuff. There are homegrown options that are Chinese-owned companies that know how to operate within the rules and limitations of China that are now absolutely the standard. You're not going to convince uh, you're not going to win the battle to create a chat app when the chat app that uh, that is homegrown inside China is also used as the mobile payments thing, which is also used as yeah. the – So that's why I'm saying that I wish that when there is an idea that when, – when, when you're getting blowback about creating a search engine that allows China to control what its, what its citizens can find on the search – on the global standard – find in any piece of information on the internet search engine, I don't know why they're so eager to try to make China happy. That's all. Well, I definitely just want to end this by saying, A, I feel like um, the only time... I feel like Silicon Valley is going to start paying attention to this because it means, oh, what does this mean for our bottom line? Yes. So let's let's remember that. And I also feel like um, Silicon Valley, every tech company should hire some political science <laughs> oh, I'm sure, folks. I'm, oh, I'm sure they do. Immediately. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm sure they're getting Get great advice. And I'm sure they've got a lot of ears in Washington. Like I said, when I that's why I use the phrase, I don't understand. I'm not saying that they shouldn't. I'm saying that if there's a reason why they need to – anyway – we should, yeah. should we just hit on a couple of quick final topics before we go that are kind of interesting this week? Yeah, we're, we're going to hit on a, some more final topics, not to just leave you, because Huawei is not the only thing that happened. So uh, a report from Open Democracy says that Facebook and Google pressured EU experts to soften fake news regulations, which is like... Ah, what's going on? Um, a 39-member EU expert group met last year to write a report on how to combat disinformation and fake news. And uh, the report was to create a suggested set of EU rules and penalties for companies and violations, right? The end result was a self-regulatory, uh, quote, code of practice on disinformation. So that's what the clause is called. It's kind of basically like GDPR in some in yeah, but in, the, the, in that sense yeah. The, the the difference was it's it's kind of interesting. And again, had we had had Huawei and the government not had a snit, we'd we'd be able to talk about this in greater detail. Mm -hmm, but mm -hmm. the the problem the, the thing is that uh, particularly with the problems of uh, meddling in elections using by using social networks and the effects of disinformation, both intentionally by foreign troublemakers. And excuse me, other I'm sorry, uh, that's that could be misinterpreted by nations with a uh, foreign intelligence reason to interfere with elections. We're not talking about foreigners. I'm sorry about that. That was yes. uh, that was clumsy of me. Uh, 
but for all those reasons, maybe we should have a new set of rules like a GDPR. Like, what should we do? Let's have, let's form. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, we will get mm-hmm. these thirty nine people from government, the law, also representatives of these companies, uh, researchers, 39 people, we'll get them together to figure out what we should do. And it could have led to a recommendation or saying, well, here's the law that the EU should should put together about what is demanded of these companies and what how they should be punished if that happens. And so the result was a self-regulatory code of practice, which is not a force of law, but basically what Facebook and Google and all and Twitter and the rest have agreed to sort of adhere to without any repercussions. And so it's like self-regulating your emotions. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that always works out. You're, um, yeah, exactly. You're not always good at it, but you try maybe. So, 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 so some of the people who were, who are part of that group, uh, the 39 are now saying that, you know, Google and Facebook were for a couple of reasons, were interfering with this. Uh, there are a couple of specific things that uh, this open democracy report says. One of them was that part of what the panel was discussing was um, we don't know for sure if Google and Facebook and Twitter are actually actively monetizing as part of their business plan fake information disinformation because if you find out that China China has secretly through Huawei infe- infected every single network with wow I'm going to click on that and if more people click on something more ad money right. so they were saying well maybe we should like demand that the Facebook and all these companies show us their business plan to make sure we know that basically show us that where they're not trying to monetize this problem for their own profit. And that's the point at which a Facebook lobbyist, and here's some quotes, said to a group member, uh, quote, we are happy to make our contribution. And this is like right after, like the, during a, like a lunch break, we're happy to make our contribution. But if you go in that direction, we will be controversial. Uh, and uh, this is now the group member <laughs> saying exactly. He, the Facebook lobbyist, threatened that we did that if we did not stop talking about these anti-competitive tools, Facebook would stop its support for journalistic and academic projects. I roll. What happened last time they did a journalistic project? It ruined everything. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> but just... see, but that, but see, but that's the problem that that ties into Google because Facebook and Google yeah. and these all the companies. It's, we're not ta- not talking about like public tools for newspapers to uh, no. do their jobs. We're talking about like there are uh, like research organizations and study organizations and like op- open journalism projects that they contribute a lot of money to, which is nice because that's the money that allows them to continue their programs. But basically they're saying that, well, maybe we don't want to donate money to this Harvard program that funds scholarships or funds grants for independent journalism. Um, they also said, uh, as far as Google says, another group member was saying that uh, the quote the Google, the Google people did not have to fight too hard for their position. It quickly became clear that they had some allies at the table, given that some of their people who are on the panel were people who were getting grants. Uh, here's, from, here's from the report. At least 10 organizations with representatives in the expert group received money from Google. One of them is the Reuters Institute for the Study of Journalism at the University of Oxford. By 2020, the Institute will have received almost 10 million euros from Google to pay for its annual digital news report. Uh, Google is one of 14 funders of this major project. So that's the, the EU knew about this relationship before they put all these people on the panel. But now that the work is done, a lot of people are saying that maybe this, the results of this were compromised by 
uh, Google and Facebook putting pressure either directly in Facebook's case or indirectly through Google saying that maybe you don't want that 10 million euro, euros that we were going to give you mm -hmm. uh, that we mm -hmm. gave you last time. So um, for it, it bears pointing out that, again, included in this report, uh, the, a panelist by the name of Davina Frau Meigs, who teaches media sociology at the Sorbonne Nouvelle University uh -huh, in Panama. Sorbonne. <laughs> uh, so, so uh, again, someone, uh, uh, member of the panel, says that she thinks the other panelists weren't influenced by Google or Facebook funding, but she they have a quote from her which she acknowledges that that is a problem that they need to keep an eye on. Uh, she says, uh, according to her, independent funding for academics as well as journalists is extremely important. Quote, Google and Facebook are paying these partnerships from their direct marketing arm, not through more neutral foundations, she says. Oh, well. Well, what are we supposed to do when people don't want to pay for memberships and advertising has <laughs> changed so much? Listen, folks, it's just it's a giant. This is a big problem. Like, think about your media and think about how important it is. And we're not just saying this because we're journalists and this is how we get paid, but we are also saying that. And so you should trust us because we know. Relay.fm slash material, sign up for memberships. <laughs> <laughs> if, if you're angry, focus that angry towards giving us money. <laughs> I mean, this is journalism. Yes. What we're doing here is breaking it down for you and telling you why it's important that you pay attention. Hmm. Um, I really appreciate that this kind of work is being done, by the way. I'm sh it's shameful that it's not being done by a U.S. entity. Just want to say that. Like, it's <laughs> it's very frustrating when it's like some very nice, smart person in the EU has decided to do this research that we probably should have done in America a while ago. And I'm like, where? where? But then or is that just my internalized American imperialism? Oh, no, 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 because oh. we wouldn't be we wouldn't be making those arguments because we're the true enemies of America. Remember? <laughs> Right, right. Um, thanks, everyone, for listening to me and Andy just kind of like let off steam about living in America. Well, think real hard about that podcast about <laughs> self-employed journalists. Well, you know, Google's an American company and politics are playing a big role in the way Silicon Valley is. It, listen, this is also exciting. Like it, it, it's kind of exciting in a scary way. But for me, you know, in college, I studied journalism and international relations. So I for me, I'm like lapping all this up. I'm just like, wow, this is really interesting. <laughs> this is this is drama. Like, forget all the housewives and 90 Day Fiance like this is unfortunate drama that is going to peter out to people eventually. But <laughs> but, you know, this is why I do journalism for a living. Uh. <laughs> Uh, well, and on that said, I think, Andy, it's time that we round down the podcast and start to say our au revoirs before we go back to the Sorbonne. Do I get points for, for putting such an, American, such an inflection on Sorbonne? You think I would be able to say it better because I speak a Latin language, but alas, I don't. Um, Andy, thanks for chatting it up this week. Uh, we really did chat a lot. What what have you been working on? You want to let people know to go check out, you know, uh, chill yourself. 
you can you can get another taste of how fast this story was moving. I was on I was doing one of my regular tech half hours on Boston NPR on Monday, <laughs> talking about what turned out to be only about a third of the Huawei story. Uh, so you can go to wgbhnews.org to check out that. Um, also, if you go to my Instagram and my Twitter and stuff, it's, I'm just Anatko, I-H-N-A-T-K-O. One of the highlights was also related to my NPR appearance on Monday because uh, pre-recording his interview on the same show was John Waters. And so I decided to show up two hours early, you know, just, just to make sure I was there on time and, and you, maybe Andy. so I could get my get my picture with taken with John Waters and get him to autograph my copy of Serial Mom and tell him that Why he's awesome and he's kind of a spirit animal to me as a kid. So if you want to see a really cool picture of me trying to not look like a fangirl, uh, fanboy <laughs> next to John Waters, you can go to my Instagram uh, where people have been having... <laughs> It's you. The point of Instagram is not for people to uh, envy your life, but for your friends to, in a really, really positive way, say, "Oh my God, I'm so jealous." So, because <laughs> I'm, I'm often so jealous of them Accurate. because, and uh, the, the the good point where I'm saying I'm so jealous, meaning that, oh my God, that was so so cool. I would love to do that one day. That's sometimes yeah. just nice to say. You got to meet John Waters, and the answer to the question that I've been getting: What was the mustache like up close? Up close, John Waters' mustache is epic. It's not. It's not like eyebrow pencil. Perfect. It is a real mustache. It is everything Perfect. you would hope. I, fe- I felt as though I would gain magical powers of creation if I would touch the mustache, but I did not touch the mustache. Perfect. I simply genuflected like like this, like the Three Kings adulation at, at the Magi adulating the new Christ child born in Bethlehem. Uh, Andy, thank you for putting all the Huawei notes together today. Just want to shout you out for putting together those. I needed to put it together in my head too. So we we both, we helped each other. Thank you. (laughs) Um, As for me, I've got some pieces that have gone up on Lifehacker. If you want to read about how to uh, prepare for the big nest change that's happening later this summer. Um, what's new in Android Q. I've got some other stuff that's coming up. It's in, it's in the queue right now. Uh, just follow me at florencelion.com. I am going to have some fun smartphone stuff up next week. And, uh, also follow me on flow feed, flow underscore feed on Instagram. Um, I'm going to start populating that and there's a lot more fun stuff coming. So if you want to come join my discord, this, there's plenty of ways for you to come hang out with me. So Andy, until next week, thank you so much for helping and talking. Uh, thanks. It's, it's nice to have human contact outs, even if it's through a Skype right? window. <laughs> right. Yeah. This, this is why we do this. Um, until next week. <laughs>